Ladies, gentlemen, those beyond the binary, poets, perverts, explorers of all kinds, hot takers, tastemakers, reluctant Quakers, booty shakers. Welcome to Bust Mouth and Q4 Radio, streaming around the world every Monday from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Apple Radio, the TuneIn app, 1680 a.m. in Chicago, and of course, QUE4.org. Shot! I'm J.W. Basilio, your host as always. Happy Monday. How was your weekend? How you feeling? I uh, I did some cool stuff as uh, this was my first official weekend not working in a rock venue in, in a couple of years. And I got to uh, I got to hang out with my family for July Day, the most wonderful day of the year. July Day is a, it's a tradition. It, we uh, I named it July Day because it was just the day that we went in July. It's a it's a stupid name, but we were drinking. It's a it's just a it's a tradition, right? We we just pick a Friday afternoon in July. My father, my brother Dan, myself, uh, occasionally guest stars like uh, like my uncle Harry descend upon the left field bleachers of Wrigley Field and proceed to drink entirely too much. Yes, it is always left field. I'll explain that maybe in a future episode. Um, I don't know. It was I mean, it was a hundred degrees. We stayed the whole game for the first time ever in recorded July Day history because the game was uh, actually compelling until the end, which was weird. And we actually drank water. If only by necessity, because it was ungodly hot. Uh, but a great day. One definitely to remember. If you're in your head, by the way, I, 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 I worry about this a little bit. But if, you, if you're worried and you're experiencing some kind of cognitive dissonance over what you know about me and my feelings on capitalism and conservatives and general douchebaggery, whilst uh, I sit here and tell you about my affinity for the Chicago National League Ball Club and Wrigley Field, well... I don't know. Uh, baseball tradition is bigger than all those things. I mean, at least to me. I, I don't love who owns the Cubs or what they've done to the neighborhood or the uh, <clears throat> disgrace of a president they support or how mind-bleedingly stupid Cub fan culture can be. I get it. I don't like them either. But but it's it's baseball. I I can't explain it to you. It's just I've made my peace with it, and that's that's really all there is to say. Uh, i got to do this. Uh, for the last time, I do want to plug a date uh, that I am playing this very Wednesday. Join me and almost a dozen other artists for the second annual Artists That Spark this Wednesday, July 24th at Uncommon Ground in Edgewater for a night of live music and poetry raising valuable funds for children and youth impacted by abuse and neglect. More info at kaleidoscopeforkids.org or uncommonground.org. I don't always plug uh, a lot of shows I'm doing super heavy, but I think this one's really worth it. So just wanted to uh, raise it up there again this Wednesday. Come hang out. I think tickets are 20 bucks. Everything goes uh, directly to the organization. They're raising money. They're doing some cool stuff. And uh, as someone who's run a young nonprofit, I know how much support they need. So I want to throw a little bit uh, my way. Maybe you would, too. Come check us out. Edgewater. Ground, uh, Uncommon Ground in Edgewater this very Wednesday. Local badass and uh, author and general rock star Megan Steelstra is going to be in the studio at the 1 o'clock hour. I'm excited about that. But first, I don't know, man. What do you think? How about some of them uh, some of them rock and roll records? What do you think? Maybe a little Rocky Erickson? I know. I get it. I know. I Uh, right before that, Traveler with Hummingbird and kicking off the hour with our friend, 
Rocky Erickson. Everyone's friend, Rocky Erickson. And I, when I said I know, I meant because I, I, there's a certain level of like indie record collector uh, uh, hipster cred that is attached to Rocky Erickson. And I don't care because I'm 36. I have no idea. Like, I, like the uh, tune I just played, uh, Slow Caves, Desert Minded. I think a good, very good tune. I think it's fun. I think it's well done. Uh, the cool thing is about being 36 years old is I have no idea what's cool. I haven't the slightest idea. Uh, I know what's new. Every, I'm playing a lot of new things, but I have no idea if any of the new things that I'm playing that I think are good are actually cool or uh, trendy or hip. I haven't the slightest idea. I don't really care, but there's part of me that is a little worried, kind of like when my uncle once uh, was like, hey, have you heard of this band Matchbox 20? They're, they rock out loud. They're pretty good. I was like, oh, God, here we go. It's like, yeah, they're new. They're a new band. Have you heard them? I was like, yep, yep. I have, uh, I have heard Matchbox 20. Thank you very much. Uh, I have no idea. Maybe that's just how it is. Maybe it isn't. Uh, anyway, you're listening to Bust Mouth and Q4 Radio. If you are digging the tunes, you can always find them on the Bust Mouth esteemed audio companion to Electric Boogaloo, Spotify, Spotify, blah, blah, blah. I can never say Spotify playlist. I always sound like an idiot. The Spotify playlist known as Bust Mouth 2. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, you can find it. It's free. Just go get it. Any any of the tunes you're listening to, if you kind of want to know the general vibe of the show and what we're playing, if you're listening via podcast and you're only hearing very short, I can't get sued snippet uh, of a few songs, go check out the whole playlist there. Or if you're just listening along on the radio, hello, how are you? Uh, if you're in Europe, hello especially. Uh, the, uh, the partner and I yesterday went out to Bridgeview. Uh, I know, not bragging. Uh, went out to Bridgeview to catch uh, the Chicago Red Stars women's soccer team. Uh, yeah, pretty exciting there. I, I bought the tickets like a while back uh, for the for my partner's birthday. This was you know quite a while before the for the World Cup, and they were they were just practically giving them away then. Uh, but then we got there yesterday, and it was almost like an absolute full sellout. It was pretty cool. It was really cool for a women's soccer game to see that many people. Um, I totally understand, by the way, why the Fire are leaving that park in Bridgeview. Uh, but I digress. It's unimportant for me to say that um, it's just not a great place for a stadium, and they are not prepared to deal with that kind of volume. Anyway, uh, I keep hearing that people are really excited about soccer after the World Cup win. Um, some folks are like, yeah, you know, it was so cool, and I, I'm excited about it, and I hear you guys talk about it, and I kind of want to get into it, and how do I do that? Um, I feel like a lot of people may kind of want to get into soccer, but they have no idea of where to start. It's You didn't grow up with the culture, and now it's a whole new thing. So uh, for five things this week, I figured I'd give you a quick list. Five things you could do to get into soccer if you're not already into it and uh, you have no idea where to start. And by the way, I'll be done talking about soccer for a while after this. I promise, at least until... A month from now, when the Premier League season starts. Anyway, the five things you could do if you just want to check out soccer and don't know where to start. Number one, this is sounds stupid, but I'm serious. Watch some highlights on YouTube. I know it sounds stupid, but I'm serious. Just check them. Just search around and see them. Just the amazing soccer highlight or whatever. I, so many Americans can't get into soccer because they think the pace is 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 something they're just not used to. Uh, at least in men's play, women's play is, is a it's a lot. Faster pace. It's a very, it's a different game. I talked about it before. It is a different game. They play a lot faster. Uh, but I think for if you see, you know, the exciting moments and uh, know that they exist, and you've you've Googled them, you've YouTube did them, and uh, you know they exist. You know that cool stuff happens. You know there are exciting moments. You know they're going to come. It's a lot easier to be patient. It makes the pace much easier to stomach. So go search amazing goals or amazing saves or whatever if you just want to kind of see how cool the sport can be. It's a good place to start. Uh, 
number two, if you're digging the highlights, watch a game. Hell, just pick a full game replay on YouTube. I'm sure they got them uh, while you're just sitting there. Just good Google full game. Uh, whatever, watch a match, uh, watch a whole match, the whole thing. Pay attention to how much is happening away from the ball, uh, the chess of the, of the positioning, the way the players move in space. It's not the NBA where they hand feed you everything. You got to invest in your own curiosity a little. Uh, but I think it's worth it, and I found it to be worth it. Three, uh, it's okay to Google as you go. If the announcer says something you don't understand, it's okay to just like pause and look it up. Uh, it's it really is. It really is. If you can't figure out why they have to stand in like a big line on a free kick or why the free kick exists, just I don't know. Look it up. Just Google it. And free kick, by the way, is a result of a foul, and the wall prevents the kick taker from shooting directly on goal without having to work for it. But that's all I'm going to give you. It's all I'm going to give you. Google your own stuff. Four. Pick a club. Uh, English Premier League is the easiest place to start because they have the widest reach. But uh, American MLS is fine. The Major League Soccer is cool. U.S. Women's League might be your bag. I was digging it yesterday. Uh, pick a club and just go to their website. Dig around. Read up on the club. I don't know, read player bios, Google it up, watch some highlights, learn about the songs and chants, especially older clubs, like old um, old English clubs and Italian clubs have their own songs and chants, and it's really cool. Uh, just do you. I don't know. Pick one at random. Pick one because they win a lot. They win all the time. Don't, don't pick Madrid or Barcelona because then you're crap. Uh, but uh, pick one because you always wanted to visit uh, Napoli or, or because you think Fiorentina colors are cool because they are they're purple and black and we all know that's my color uh or because you know take an online quiz and say which i'm sure they exist in fact i know they exist because i once took one just out of curiosity uh it doesn't matter just pick one it helps you feel more invested less ignorant about the whole thing number five it's okay to admit your own ignorance i know i know as americans especially in the age of social media and the 24-hour news Nothing feels like a slap in the face like being called ignorant, but it's okay to not know things. It really is. It's okay to not know things and to feel intimidated by new things and to feel like a weird shame over the world being into something that you're not. For most people, the natural response to something that you don't understand is to be dismissive or to make fun of it. And I'm that way a lot too, and I'm not proud of it, but I know that I am that way. And I think that alone is a major reason why a lot of Americans don't like the sport or allow themselves uh, you know, the space to, to, I guess, explore it. They, they don't want to feel dumb. It's okay to feel dumb. That's how you learn things. And learning soccer has improved my life, if only in a small way. But I, I do believe that my life is better after learning soccer. And who knows? You, you might be into it, too. Give it a shot. Go learn something. Try something new. Q-U-E-4.org. Hear you. Hey, there you are. Hi. Hi. Uh, I'm not going to read your bio because that's annoying. Okay, that's What I fine. am going to do, however, is plug all your books. Uh, and I wrote them down. So, uh, Megan is the author of The Wrong Way to Save Your Life, Once I Was Cool, and Everyone Remain Calm. Those are three books. And they're like real books. They're like perfect bound. They've got ISBNs. Thanks. You're like they big do. and Isn't fancy. Isn't that wild? It is cool. Yeah. Yeah. We can, they can be found. <laughs> In places, my dad lives on a uh, an island in the middle of the Gulf of Alaska, and he's always like, "Where, like, you, like, can you get the books in an actual like bookstore?" And he gets really 
really excited. And I have this little kid who like will still walk into bookstores and be like, do you have my mother's book? You should have my mother's book. <laughs> like, like you need your you need your street team, I guess. But I mean, so. your book's a lot of places. Like you're you're um, like a real author. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I would like to say, though, that I mean, I think we are all we are all real. You know, like that. That's, no, the, thing. I, I like totally that's, that's the thing I love so much about Chicago is, you know, the, this place lifted me up way before those books existed. And this place treated me like a writer way before yeah, absolutely. There, there was any of there was any of that stuff, you know. And so that's the arts organizations here and the schools here and mm-hmm. most of all the, the independent bookstores here. My my very beloved Women and Children First is coming up on their 40th anniversary, wow. which is amazing. And that that place had me yeah. had me believing in myself way before any anyone in New York. And I think the me. and I want to talk about the Chicago literary community and kind of mm-hmm. how I felt about it as well. And I want to mm-hmm. get into it. But first, let me ask you the question I ask everybody. Sure. Because I think it's a good place to start. Uh, first records you ever bought with your own money. Uh, the, uh, the pump up the volume soundtrack. Yes. Okay, we just high-fived. We just, we just did. You want to hear a funny secret? The reason I wanted to get into radio was that movie. What? I swear to God. I the saw reason it, I, was... I wanted to get into Christian Slater's pants was that movie. <laughs> um, uh, he, he was, yeah, he was at peak Slater in that movie. It, I think, you know, it's all... That 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 was the that was that was the hype. Like I don't want to say it was all downhill from the no, it, from it there, wasn't but I mean, but like, that's like when I think of him, it was that it was that type because you know I was really impressionable and I you yeah, know yeah yeah um like that movie was totally right right time for me yeah I think I was I was uh, thirteen mm-hmm. we had just moved to some god awful suburb mm-hmm. in Wisconsin of all places mm-hmm. which is a god awful state and uh, that's right I said it deal with it um mm-hmm. I, I no projecting my own personal thing. So I was 13. I was feeling completely alone. I was feeling like um, I didn't... I was already... I mean, being 13 sucks. Like, it, it already it's true. sucks. It's true. And if, you're like, uh, and if you're like me and you're like an overweight, artsy kid mm-hmm. and you like musicals way more than you like football, mm-hmm. but you also want to like football... I kind of love that about you. Yeah. I would like to add to this conversation that my father was my middle school principal. Wow. So let's just like set that down in the age 13. Yeah, it's a rough one. Place, which means, you know, like you're the, you're the kid who gets like that. This has been immortalized in every single television show or film about about high school or middle school that's ever been made. You know, like you're the kid that gets locked in their lockers and mm-hmm. and uh, by all the kids that my dad would bust smoking weed. And, and I think the real the real crime there. Is that that ruined weed for me for many years? Like it took me a long, a long time to be able to to find it again. Yeah. And, and so, but it's all right. It's all right. I worked hard. Yeah. I'm there. I'm there now. So. Well, and that's the thing. We all kind of came out on the other side, and some of us just with good stories that we mm-hmm. turned into things that we were able to profit from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is Pro- awesome. Profit is a an interesting thing for us to unpack. Well, profit I also think is a relative term. Okay. So, yeah. uh, I'm profiting from being a nerdy kid. Yeah, yeah. The thing is I didn't know I was a nerdy kid. I thought I was the coolest kid. I thought I was like why doesn't everybody like me? I got mm. long hair and stuff and like um mm-hmm. you know, I, I I listen to records that other people don't and I like read books and stuff. Like why doesn't totally. everyone think I'm awesome? Totally. Yeah, no, they just called me fag and beat me up. You know, like that kind of thing. Yep. And to be fair, I deserved it for being such a fag. Uh, anyway, sorry. You didn't. No, I know. You didn't. I was, yeah. The fact that you didn't. I'd also like to take that term out of the air, and I would like I'm to sorry. set it. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't love it, but I, I feel like um, 
I don't love it. I don't love the term, but it's it was not, like such a violent yeah. term. It was. That I tried and to it like, is, yeah. Yeah, yes. and I kind of like re-internalize it as a... You know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Like, what are the... Um, what is the... You know, like, what... Not lately. I've always been thinking about this. Like, what does language do and what kind of strength yeah. does it hold? You know, I'm I'm in my in my 40s now, and so there, there are certain things that generationally I would say all the time that... Uh, that I'm not interested in saying anymore. And, sure. and it doesn't take a, a, a huge flip. Yeah, it yeah, it yeah. doesn't take a huge amount of work to like flip that language. Like here's an example. I, I would always used to say, you guys, it was crazy. Uh, you guys, it was crazy. Sure. And it, it is not hard to say y'all, it was wild. Y'all. And, yeah. and to mm-hmm. change the, 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 gendered and ableist aspect of that look anyway it's a thing that i'm it's a thing that i'm no and i'm I'm totally with you and and i think that if i were on stage i use that word on stage sometimes you're on stage a lot well i used to be on stage a lot a lot more than i did but i used to use that that you that word on stage a lot because it was uh a word that i encountered so violently yeah it was a word that i encountered um in a way that was like this is the first time I knew that it wasn't okay to be me. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or the person that I was or how I presented to the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so because of that, I use the word, but like, I, I don't love it. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I feel, I feel embarrassed having said it. Yeah. Even though it's like a word I would say well, for, well, for laughs. I just you know? think the mere fact that you and I just sit and had sat here and had this dialogue about yeah. it, um, I think can be of use. No, So don't absolutely. be embarrassed. You know, I, I, God, and I think, you know, especially like I, I, I teach college, right? And so there's all of these conversations about oh, yeah. free speech and how do we use speech on campus and um, and that kind of thing. I I've, I've definitely, I, I just, I know you and I are both involved with the the paper machete mm-hmm. in Chicago. Paper machete, what yay! Um, if you haven't been there, like we you know, only, yeah. giving the plug, it's a, a live news news magazine every Saturday at the Green Mill, and they just put on this summer blowout yep. mm-hmm. bash. Yeah, and uh, and it again, if you've never been, it. Uh, a whole bunch of musicians and comedians and essayists and journalists are each given a um, like a, a current events kind of topic to dig into in their own in their own certain yeah. way. Right. So I just did it last week, and I was um, I was assigned Epstein, the Jeffrey Epstein God story. And and to just dig. So I I know right now more about sex trafficking than I have ever known in my whole entire life, J- just by the research process yeah. for that. But but how it's relative, I think, to the conversation that, that we're having right now and thinking about language, right? Like, um, just reading all these news stories mm-hmm. who keep talking, you know, who keep talking about what was happening to these young women and just to, like, isolate the word woman there for a minute. Like, these sure. are these are girls. These are middle schoolers. Yeah, these 13, are 14. these are children. Um, so what is the, what does language do if we roll with the story of, of this is happening to women as opposed to this is happening to girls or children? Sure. Or another thing that I, I thought was really interesting. So um, Epstein was convicted, I think, in 2008, and he served 13 months. Can we just think about that for a minute? 13 months for sex trafficking and rape of middle school age girls and we've got in this city and in this country we've got black boys still in prison for an eighth of weed in Mm -hmm. their pocket and they've been there for 20 years already right so so just to look at the the inequity there but but so while he was serving though for 13 months he had something called work release so one of the cops would take him every day from the prison to his quote office mm-hmm. and he would work for 12 hours and then they would take it back but mm-hmm. i read that the cop in question didn't refer to him as a 
inmate. They referred to him as a client. Right. So again, yeah. just to think about like what a single word can do. And how, and we got, and I think us talking about that is, I think it's important. So yeah, yeah. And well, and that's the thing is I've I've spent a lot of time over the last few years really really looking at the evolution of language, specifically yeah. because I I'm not going to get into it, but I did some shows where some people that I was on the bill with and myself like got a lot of blowback. I was at a college, so it was like a mm-hmm. lot of blowback from. You made jokes about this. You made jokes about that. And it was like, yeah. Eh. And for me, it's like, it's a joke, right? Mm-hmm. And you can always do better. And mm-hmm. you can always do worse. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. I don't know. Whatever it was. There was a lot of blowback, which made me just cognizant mm-hmm. of, uh, of language and what, what words I use and don't use. And, mm-hmm. when, I, and when we said the word, that we're, word that's in question here, that's just one that like, I can't quite get rid of yet. Because mm-hmm. I feel like um, it sounds so cliche about the empowerment of like taking the word back, mm-hmm. but I kind of mean it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's one that I have. A, I still like just reach in as like a funny button. Like I mm-hmm. laugh about it because it's a lot easier to laugh about. It's gotten very dark very quickly, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Oh, you mean our conversation? Yes. <laughs> oh, I was going to say I was going to say the lights I haven't no, changed at no. all. I Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I have paid a lot of attention to the evolution, evolution of language, and I think it's an important conversation to have. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and I think it is important to have. Yeah. Um, I think I, I was just, my, so my, my kid's on summer break right now. He's 11, and we're, we're doing a summer fine. vocabulary challenge. <laughs> summer vocabulary challenge. He's so your kid, isn't he? Oh, he's, he's rad. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, so, like we, so we sit there and have all these conversations about words every day which i i completely geek out on but it's it's fascinating to think like where where our understanding of language came from and um i went when i was in high school to one of those super duper test taking high schools like we had a class in testing Mm -hmm. um and uh and very specifically you know this was 1993 so it's not like it was a gazillion years ago but just even that like the teacher standing in the front of the room and like hitting a ruler on the desk and it was irony a statement or event in which the opposite is said or the unexpected happened and we all did that in unison for hundreds and hundreds of vocabulary words but that doesn't mean i ever understood what irony meant like i could sure rote memorization i could repeat it yeah yeah and the same thing with like all like dates like i can tell you that jfk was born in 1917 on may 26th and but that's John Fitzgerald Kennedy, born in Massachusetts Bay in 1917. Mm-hmm, on 20, mm-hmm. You know, and like all these mnemonic devices, and and I, I, I didn't do any, I didn't do anything with that with that information, and and so, so I, I'm interested in in like the difference between learning a word and understanding it, and and where that all comes from, and yeah. I, I I think it matters, like especially when you know when we're getting into it, when we're in such polarizing discussions. Um, and there's so much hate love. I mean, look, like I'm a woman on the internet. Like I, f- I feel it, right? Oh, yeah. And so, and you know, so so all of this is coming at you. And just to stop and, and think, like, well, oh God, what are, what really are the stories and understandings behind that word? Like you're coming, you're coming with this language, and you know, and the reclamation of it, I guess, from from this story that you lived and the memory that you still sure. have of it. And yeah. Um, and you know the form I deal with mostly in my writing is the personal essay, and all of that is about this, right? Like what what did we go through and experience that we're still carrying around that's that can be a contribution to to a greater cultural and political dialogue that that we're happening today. What I'm saying is you have to write this essay, and sure. you have to dig into it. Um, yes, do, should I give you a right. deadline? Would that be useful for you to to 
to actually get to you know the, a full movement of the complete because sometimes people need deadlines and it's helpful sometimes it's irritating sure i'll probably just do it for next week's show then okay that's great Great. Then we're, you know we're all gonna we're all wait we're all waiting. Well, you know how it is. Now like, there's accountability. If you've turned out enough essays, you know that yeah. you're like I can think about it for 20 minutes and then just go. Yes. Yes. And then the editing is the editing, but I can yeah. have a, a functional essay. Yeah. Pretty quick. You know here. Okay. Can we talk about this for a minute? Because yeah, that's what we're doing. Because there are, <laughs> but um, there are, like that. That's usually the the way that I roll. Right. Okay. Like I I need to make this piece. I can do it really quickly. Um. But in the past couple of years, I don't like everything feels more charged to me, mm-hmm. um, especially myself. Like I am, like, uh, like I am furious kind of all of the time. Like, like it's like a constant buzz happening in the back. I, re- I read somebody wrote on Twitter that. Like every woman in this country could just open her mouth and a, a hive of bees could come flying out. And I like I felt that in my bones. But anyway, well, everything feels like it's coming slower to mm-hmm. me right now. Like I need to spend more time. I think I, I spent um, 2018 axe throwing. I went axe throwing every week. Like I joined uh, a, yeah. you. I just read this essay. Oh, OK. Yeah. And, and so I. And that essay took me a, a solid year to write. Mm-hmm. Like I could, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to say with it. Like it was just like this kind of red hot fury kind of coming out of my yeah, yeah, pores yeah, yeah, and yeah, making yeah, yeah. me melt a little yeah. bit. So it's it's been interesting how the world is kind of turning back on the the art making process in my head a little bit. Huh. When you say okay, so the thing I want to. The thing I found most specific, and I, just, I pulled it back up so I could pull this out, and the yeah. fact that you brought this up is, is awesome. Uh, oh, the access essay? No, no, the, yeah, the access essay. The line that you wrote in there that I really loved was something to the effect of um, uh, anger, like unvoiced anger becomes rage. Yeah. Right? And I went, that's awesome. Uh, so the fact that it's come up is important. Yeah, so, yeah. So when you say like unvoiced anger, your, your writing is, so you write short story, mostly personal narrative yeah. when it comes to stories, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, more traditional essays and things like that. Yeah. All three of your collections are... I guess a kind of a combination of those. Yeah, of those. Forms, I love right? like the 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 gesture that you're making right now is like, is hands. it this? Is it that? Is it which I love? Yeah, and that's yeah. How, I think like how welcome, I welcome to all of the marketing departments who try to deal I, with my books. Well, absolutely, I mean, probably all of our books. Like, what do we what call it? I don't care. What do you want to call it? I don't know what to call my stage act. Yeah. I don't know what to call this show. I don't mm-hmm. know what to call a lot of things. Uh, but you're specifically, I love your work because it's so it blends this this. Uh, you posit questions and then there are essays and there are stories and you your tone is conversational and I, it, there's a lot in what you do that I see in my own which is why I'm like yeah I think you're pretty because you look like me um, <laughs> yeah. but but no I do but I really like your writing a lot Thank and you. I think that um, all of your all of your collections and as I do the, the two hand thing I think yeah. all your collections kind of blur that line in a way that I really dig um, I don't remember how we got on this aside for me to just say I butter your bread you've been angry and uh, <laughs> well yes. actually let me I, I can I can dive it like about the the conversational aspect of it I mean I that to me, that's Chicago. You know, I Absolutely. came. I came at the. You know, I, I. My. You're not from Chicago. I'm not. I I moved here when I was 19 for college. Um, from Michigan originally, and uh, so I went to college. And you have to pay for you have to pay for college somehow. So I, yeah. uh, I bartended for about 15 years at the Bonga Room 
on Milwaukee Avenue. You don't say that one. Uh, people still come up to me on the L and they're like, I know you. And I, you know, and there's part of me that's like, yeah, maybe you saw me at the paper machete or maybe you saw me at second story. And they're like, no, you made my bloody Mary's yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. during the nineties. Um, but, uh, but that place was just incredible. The people were amazing. Some of, I mean, to this day, m- my dearest friends, but you know, you, you stand there and you're, you're making your money behind a bar. Mm-hmm. And all that is is storytelling. Like your customers are telling you stories, you're telling them stories. And so, you know, so it, it was really fascinating for me to to start paying attention to like the you know, the literary techniques I'm reading in graduate school from Kafka and Joan Didion and, and um Toni Morrison. And they're so similar to the the way that your bar customers are trying to tell you stories, right? Mm-hmm. Like tension and scene building and exaggeration mm-hmm. and pacing. And so I got really interested in the connections between oral and written storytelling. And so 20 years ago, I joined up with a personal narrative storytelling series called Second Story. And at the time, there were just three or four of us in a basement with a bunch of wine. Mm-hmm. And now it's this big company and there are 60 people and there's a board and an operating budget. And, um, you have a storefront in my neighborhood? Yeah, we have a storefront. So it's really cool to see how it's it's grown. But I mean, for me, all of it comes from the work that is done on stages in Absolutely. Chicago. You know, Absolutely. and I started with Second Story and now I'm, I'm part of the machete as well. But I mean, there are so many incredible storytelling organizations in the city. Of and, course. And, and that's where all of my literary stuff comes from. I mean, that, that's the first place that I started telling sure. personal narrative. And um, and I think here the performance and literary communities are tangled together in all these really Absolutely. Yeah. delicious ways. So, Well, yeah. And I think a lot of people, for my, just speaking for myself, like I got a lot of opportunities because I started in, I tried to, I was trying to be a songwriter. I'm now again trying to be a songwriter 20 years later. But mm-hmm. like I tried, was trying to be a songwriter, but I, I stumbled into and fell into uh, Poetry Slam. Yeah. Which is a weird sentence to say out loud because I'm now completely removed and detached from the from the genre, the art form, the community. I'm, sure. I'm no longer. And I, that was my whole life for like right. 15 years, right? But because it was like, oh, you write things, you don't suck, and you're compelling to watch on stage. Mm-hmm. You tell stories too? Like, sure, I'll tell some stories. You know, I'd taken these bits. Like, it all started with um, Grown Folk Stories was the first, like, storytelling show I did. Cara Brigandi is so brilliant. And I love you, Cara. And why... Can you stop? We stop working Monday, so you can come to the show. Um, she works Mondays. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think you should pre-record her and just let. I've her. done it. She okay, actually good. was on the old Busted Mouth before she's we my came favorite. here. I think my she's the favorite. raddest. Okay. Uh, I have so many stories about Cara Brigandi that I it, it's ridiculous. Um, but it started with me because I would take these kind of slam poems, yeah. right? There were my stuff was always more narrative than it was anything mm-hmm. else. So I would kind of take these things and I go, oh well, this works. Let me just kind of slow the form down and I'll slow this up and I'll take this and I'll pause here and I'll stumble on purpose here and it'll feel like a story so mm-hmm. i was just like cheating i knew exactly what i was doing i was cheating but i went up and like crushed at this new storytelling show which was just starting to like mm-hmm. really kind of catch fire and then all and then i met scott whitehair and a bunch of other people that were like you should do this storytelling show so now all of a sudden mm-hmm. i look around and i was getting bored writing poems mm-hmm. but i was loving writing narrative again mm-hmm. or for the first not again but like for the first time i loved writing narrative as a kid but i hadn't done it in so long so chicago was just that kind of thing like you seem interested Mm-hmm. I think you have something to say. Can we give you a place to say it? Mm-hmm. And that's in Chicago is really big about that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think um, for me and and for the the work I publish now, it it has helped make me brave. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can uh, you can get up to share your work with this audience, and you know, I don't have to worry about my my dad in Alaska, sure, or my ex in New York, or my kid. 10 years in the future you know it's just about uh the the particular moment but you're you're able to see really quickly if if 
what is happening in the moment has value, right? Like you're able to see the reaction from the audience and, and then, you, you know, to, to, to talk with, with people after um, and to have people come up to you and, and, and let you know that, that what you just did mattered. I, I think mm-hmm. like when I, when I think about publication and, and what I want to put on a page or a screen where it is going to live forever, uh, yeah. that makes me feel that makes me feel more brave, for sure. So I guess the question uh, where where I'm going or where what I was where I was leading was, uh, you know, if if unvoiced anger becomes rage, mm-hmm. do you feel that writing about it actually works as as a as, as a mechanism for voicing? Does it release Does it release the rage for you? Oh, I. Uh, it absolutely helps mm-hmm. for me, for me. And um, I think that there's a writer that I love. Her name is Lydia Yaknovich, and she talks a lot about how our, our bodies can't carry these stories that we've lived, but hmm. the page can carry them. Right? So what it means to get it out of, out of your body. And, and for me, I think if, once I get it out, then I'm able to see what it is that I'm actually dealing with. Right? Because like, if I'm just yeah. walking around and... and there and I'm pissed off all the goddamn time. Then that's not useful. That's not useful. Like that's <laughs> that's that's not. Um, you're not your most productive self. When I am not my. Seating. I am not my most productive self. And you know, and just to think about what that means insofar as being being a parent and being an educator and being a writer and being a friend and being a Chicagoan and being somebody who's trying to launch my body into the street at any given moment. You, you know the. Uh, I I want to be of use in any mm-hmm. way that that I can be, and and so part of that is me dealing with my own shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think where we tap into something is when our own shit is something that is is a lot of people's shit, and then you realize that you're. Oh, I'm getting the. Well, you're doing okay. great. Okay, great. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take that Everybody's, word and I'm going to look uh, at and I'm baggage that, half. Bleep. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, you're doing uh, sorry. great. Sorry, um, you're doing great. Okay. Uh, like the. It, the the piece of mine that that really made me figure this out, and this was this was years ago, but I I wrote this essay about uh, healing from postpartum depression by stalking my neighbor with a wireless baby video monitor. And where where can we find this one? That so it because I don't so I the, don't think the, I've read that. The story. trajectory of this one is is pretty interesting. So um, so I wrote it uh, I wrote it for Second Story. I performed it a couple of times. Uh, there was an editor who heard it one night. Her name is Roxanne Gay. Who I love. Uh-huh. This was years ago. And uh, she published it in The Rumpus. This was 2012. She published it at The Rumpus. A few months later, I got a, a email from a writer named Cheryl Strayed saying she just selected it for Best American Essays. Look at you. Uh, and uh, those two writers completely changed the trajectory of course of of my and kind of what i love is is when i thanked both of them and how do you thank i mean how do you thank someone for seeing you you know it's yeah. um when i thanked both of them they they both said some kind of uh you know some sort of uh the word is going out of my head so some sort of variation of doors are going to open for you you're going to walk through the doors what you need to do is turn around and say okay who's coming with me yeah you need to to bring people with you and and how do you how do you support others and in your work and and so i I really admire both of them not not just as writers but as as 
as human beings and, and how they try sure. to lift people up. And, sure. I, and I emulate that a lot. Anyway, um, I get a lot of emails from from people who are experiencing postpartum specifically, but de- sure. depression in general. You know, sure. So mostly they're from women who have just had baby, babies, but often from the men and women who love those women and are trying to understand what the, what the hell is happening. And I'm sorry, what what is happening? And, and so to- You can say hell, that's okay. Th- thank you. <laughs> hell! I've given you permission hell. to say hell. Um, hell! So, but the- but just to, to get that that kind of response, you know, and like I I see it passed around mm-hmm. to postpartum support groups on, on mm-hmm. Twitter and, and that social media, and and that has been huge for me, like sure. that, like to know that um, to know that something matters. That that makes me feel brave as well I as well that. too, you know. And, and so I, I think that's something that I try to think about a lot whenever I want to launch my laptop into the sea or give up this writing thing because it is not easy it is it, it sucks. is it is hard it, it really is, sucks in a lot of ways it is hard a lot of the times and and um and there's this constant question of well should i just make my life easier and go back to bloody mary's um and i, I uh it's those responses, you know. If if an artist does something that means something to you, let let them know. Like that, the yeah. moment that you send that email could or that tweet could be the moment that somebody is is yes. trying oh, to figure oh, out whether or not oh, yeah. they're they're going to give oh, this yeah. thing up. So so it's been th- those responses from those women that have made me think that I want to that I want to keep moving. Um, and uh, so it was the same thing with that with the Axe essay. The, the Axe essay came out in The Believer the day after the uh, Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearings. Right, right, right. And so just the the particular timing of that essay w- was a time that I think it could really be of use in some kind of way. Sure. Um, and timing is a big deal, right? Yeah. So just to, like, just to come back around and make it where we were. So at 13, right, I see Pump Up the Volume. And oh, I know, right? You're really book. You're, that's a nice tie-in. This is how back, my brain works. okay. Um, I'm good at this. No, I'm kidding. I'm really not. But I happen to go. Ooh, yeah. time. Talk uh, yeah. hard. So, talk hard, right? So and I see this movie just because I had heard about it, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about it. It wasn't a new release, right? But my yeah. mom didn't know anything about it, so yeah. it was rated R, and she couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't hear about it, so she couldn't be like, "Eh, it's probably not for you." Yeah. I'm 13. I see this movie, and it's basically just Christian Slater who had just moved to this new place and felt completely alone and was a total dork and no one liked him and his outlet was, but he thought he was not necessarily thought he was smarter, but was generally above the the level of discourse of your average high school student and just spoke out into the world and people heard it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, so that's what I'll do forever. Right. That's all I really need for Mm -hmm. me is just like, I just need someone to know. Right. And how do you thank someone for seeing you is like the best line I've heard all week. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, But how do you thank someone for, for seeing you? And I think that you bring this point up of, you know, when you, when you get through the door, who are you bringing with you? Like I got immediately this image of you ever see, you know, like when raccoons are stealing from a trash can and you see the first raccoon will go in and they're, they're raiding the joint, which is pretty much what we're doing anytime we're getting paid for yeah. making art. Like, we're kind of stealing. Uh, shut up. Uh, they, like, the first raccoon will, like, hold the lid open while the rest of them scurry in. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that's the immediate image I got was, like, how can we rob this place? And they look like little robbers. I'm just being silly a little bit. Okay. Okay. I, I, I this is... See, I'm trying to flip this in my head because, of course, like I, I see this more. Like I imagine it more like, God, like especially just with. I mean, 
I get a lot of essays or a, a lot of emails from women who are experiencing postpartum, like like that, oh, wow. like okay. that, like that, like that kind of response. And what I want to do is, like, I just want to put us all in Wrigley. Like, I, I just want to fill the, the stadium, oh, the stadium yeah. with all of these people, just just so we can see how many of us there are. Like yeah. how, and I don't know, like maybe we can all do the wave, like mm-hmm. you know, and because um, there is something really, I I think powerful in in knowing that you're not because it's such an isolating. Depression is the saddest. Experiencing. It's the worst. It's the worst. It sucks. It sucks. And 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 everybody experiences it in, in really unique ways. But the um. But at the end of the day, for, at least for me, you know, it's the it was the the loneliness factor. And so I think that there's sure. something about putting it on the page. Uh, this this comes back to the question of you asking me, like, does does writing about it help? Sure. Right. Um, for me, yes. Absolutely. And it's, and it's part of it is it's getting it out of my body so I can figure out what to do about it. But also, um, if it's something that I can give to somebody else, then, then that, that's what, that's what matters. Sure. So, so where do you create space for joy? Oh, like, do um, you actively? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky again with this kid I have, I mean, he, he will straight up like, like come and close my laptop and be like it is time for us to go for a walk now <laughs> uh, i mean he, uh, he's um, what an actualized child he's pretty you he's pretty tuned i mean yeah he's he's pretty well, he's got a good village behind him i mean when, when he was born both my husband and i are only children and and so we we picked 10 friends and we put him in a room and we're like okay we're not religious this is not a christening we want some kind of ritual we don't know what it is this kid needs aunts and uncles yeah, yeah, yeah. we need help we don't know sure. what to do so we ended up we all drank a bunch of maker's mark and then we passed the baby around it like everybody whispered something to him that they were going to teach him which was really which was really yeah. cool um but anyway i i think i love that question that making space for joy i I'm, think i'm only i'm just projecting because i'm trying to figure out how to make space for joy for oh myself. no i i think I, I think that that's something that everybody's trying to to figure out right now um i don't know i, I feel like i get to answer that question differently every, every sure. single day um i i'd like to be really lofty and say like it's my priority and i try but but i'm i'm failing at it pretty miserably right now mm-hmm. um and uh, and so th- that is something that I'm I'm trying to to be better about it, especially for this this kid. I adopted a puppy. This is good. I adopted Holler. a puppy because I was like, I have a, a pit bull who's 16 years old, and and he's a super old man. So we adopted this puppy last summer, and she she's rad. And I was like, this, this is gonna like this is gonna be the joy. She's gonna get me out of the house. She's gonna get and um and she. So I would take her on these walks every day, and so all of a sudden my journal went from like. Fury and rage against the world. Oh, you keep a journal, like a, oh yeah, oh, I, I, every day, every oh, day. Wow. Well, I I try to I, even like I I have a job, I have a kid, but I I, I have to hit five hundred words a day. Like, I, and I try to be not precious about it. Like every day I drink no, coffee, great. every day I take a shower, every day every I walk day. the dog, every day I write five hundred words. You know, and then I I, totally I make yeah. something totally anyway. So and then my journal turned into like the puppy ate a leaf, and the puppy and it like turned into this nice happy thing, and then um all at the uh, at the end of September, a uh, serial killer started shooting people in my neighborhood along the same walk that the puppy and I walked on mm. every single day. And it's actually the a piece that I'm working on right now because that same week was the Kavanaugh hearings and the Van Dyke trial in Chicago. Yeah. So that was a pr- it was the same like two week period. Those three things 
happening. And so, um, so again, I'm really thinking about like what, what is happening in the world, in the country, in the city, in the neighborhood, and how do all those things influence how we walk through our lives and, um, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's where it comes from. Yeah. Do yeah. You, so again, ha- some happy, joyful. It's okay to be like. Stuff. I'm also working on an essay about um, having sex in public restrooms and independent bookstores around the city. <gasps> so I, I'm I'm trying to like yeah. like when I do really ha- heavy, difficult stuff, I try to do something fairly ridiculous at the same time. So is having sex in independent bookstores? Those are two separate essays. No. 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 Side Obvi- Obviously, I've. Okay. Okay. But like, I just to having sex in independent bookstores restrooms bookstore restrooms mm-hmm. that's how the syntax of that works uh is that something you're actively doing or like is this uh i used to work at an arby's kind of thing i did used to work at an arby's i know i've read your okay stuff. um i okay it's been a minute since i've had sex in a public restroom at a chicago independent bookstore okay um i I am in a monogamous relationship okay. right now. And That's where I was going to go Yeah, next. yeah, yeah. And um, and so I don't think, now I'm scanning back through my memory, I don't think that he and I have had sex in a bathroom at an independent bookstore. And so, and we've been together 14 years now. So, mm-hmm. um, and mainly because he's really tall, like really tall. And so most... <laughs> I love the most, of mechanics. Well, the, I mean, that, that, that's, that's part of the conversation thing, yeah. because like in one part, it's super duper sexy because you're like, you're right near the poetry section. Like you're right near, that's the nerdiest thing like I've you're standing, in you're in there with someone and like, there's all this language and it's incredible. And, um, and so all of that is really hot, but then you get in the actual, first of all, they're, they are not always the cleanest you don't say places in the world which first of all why should they be i it's where the dirtiest what, things occur what the booksellers what i want from my independent booksellers are like them walking up to me and being like megan have you read this yet because i totally think sure that you need to read it like i'm talking about postpartum and i've, I've told this story a lot but um there was like a solid year where i wasn't reading and like that's when you know something's messed up right at at least Mm -hmm. for for me and then i was in women and children first and the bookseller gave me this is how i first came across the writer lydia yuknovich they gave me her memoir chronology of water and the first line of that book is uh if ever the river of sadness that runs through all of us have ever has ever touched you then this book is for you and i just started like sobbing my face off in the middle of the bookstore like it was and i am an ugly crier you know like there are those women who can like cry and it's so beautiful and they're like just a single tear i am like snot mascara like can't control my body (laughs) and and that book just that's awesome snapped into so so anyway that that's what chicago booksellers do is like they all of us who walk through those doors they know uh, like they have some kind of alchemy where they can see the thing that is like n- not going to save our lives but to like show us how we can save ourselves maybe and i and so i don't need any of my booksellers to be clean in a floor sure. like i i, I mean the, what they have done for me like as a reader and as a writer like that like Keep on keeping on, Chicago Indies. I love you more than anything. Um, so anyway, but you can get dirty 
if you're actually having sex in the bathroom yes. in an independent bookstore. And uh, and so and it's very you know again I'm I'm in my 40s now so like now they're like like there's like I've I've had alignment issues and I've had there are but, you know and, and so things. it's like yeah, so sure. so I want to say to those of you who are having sex in the bathrooms at Chicago independent bookstores like be like be nice to 40 year old you in the future and just be, think about how you bend over and what you're doing to your spine and yes I, I'm with you. <laughs> the no, look no, you're I, giving me right now is what oh, no, are no, we no, doing no. on our no, radio the look, show? The right look now. that is on my face is like, how far right. am I going to take this? Because okay, I'm right, great. right. Well, um, I'm do, you know I'm in the the essay, but but you know so so hopefully I can dig a little d- deeper and and we'll. Can we talk about something weird? It's not weird, but it's connected. Oh yeah, because what we've been talking about so far is so. Well, I mean, the, normal no, the, comparatively. This is this is both, weird. Okay, bring I mean it. Is, yeah, I've not tracked this. I'm just pulling this out of the sky, right? Okay. Trying to find the the link between. Um, I think sexuality is very important. I think understanding one's sexuality is very important. I know okay. this is water is a water is wet kind of situation, but mm-hmm. it's it, it's amazing to me how many people are not in touch with their own sexuality, right? Mm-hmm. But I think that um, feeling sexy is important. Mm-hmm. Like feeling sexually uh, in tune with yourself and sexually attractive is an important thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the first things that goes away with depression mm. for me. Mm. Right. But that doesn't change the amount of like sexual release that one seeks inside of a depressive cycle. And I can only speak for myself yeah. and anecdotally from what I've heard from other people. Right. Yeah. So I want to act out sexually when I'm drunk. Or when I'm drunk, when I'm depressed, ooh, before I didn't slip. Yeah. Uh, when I'm depressed, and generally drunk, like you want to act out sexually. So, mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. that? Do you feel like there's a connection there? Well, uh, again, I, I think this is one of the. You know, one can only speak for oneself. You can only on speak this. for yourself. You know, and that's I, all I'm asking. I, for me, like I, I rem- like I wanted to get back into my body. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like I felt like I was so in my head. So I really wanted to have sex. Um, I like I wanted. Uh, I wanted to be feeling things on a physical. Like I, I wanted to set my brain on the floor. Right, Roxanne has this. Roxanne Gay has this great essay where where she talks about like, I think it's about the movie The Help, and she's talking about how sometimes, like, you need to make a decision about whether or not you're going to put your brain in the glove compartment before you walk into a film. And uh, yes, and I, and I think there there are sometimes that I just like I just want to take my brain out of my head and I want to put it in the glove compartment or maybe set it down. And I think my kid like wears an expander. So he's always, always got these plastic cases in his pockets to is that a put in his thing. In, it, sorry. An expander. What is it's expander? like a retainer. Oh, a retainer. It's okay. like a retainer. And so, you know, he's always, he's got these very colorful cases so he doesn't accidentally throw out his very expensive orthodontia. Um, but the, you know, that his mother paid for with the sweat of her with axe her essay with an axe essay and the um and uh so now i'm just thinking about like having the, just these cases in my brain or in my pocket yeah. where i can like set my brain cuz you just you just don't want to think anymore and and i feel that way sometimes like dealing mainly in personal essay like after this last book i was just like i i'm only going to write weird vampire fiction from now on i don't i'm true. so sick of myself i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to deal with myself at all anymore and then the so the my book came out the summer of 20 my last book came out the summer of 2017 and i had to um turn in the final manuscript in the summer of 2016 so because then it takes a year to go through copy editing and press and like so so it, it's a year from generally speaking it's a year from when you turn it in to to when it hits the stands 
So I was very aware that my readers would know who won the presidential election when they were reading the book, but I didn't know it at the time. At the time. Uh, and, and then to, so then when I stepped out of the, I turned in the book and I was like, I'm done. I'm never, I'm never writing about myself again. And then I got commissioned to write an essay. I, I got an ask to write an essay about, um, election anxiety. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and after like spending a year writing this book, I sat down and I wrote that election anxiety piece in about two hours. And so it was just kind of this relief. And so, so I, I think even when we make decisions and say, I'm, you know, you saying I'm like, I'm not, I'm not writing poetry anymore. I'm not sure, doing that as much sure. anymore. You know, something happens in the, in the world or in our life. And, you know, our, our lives run parallel to our pages. Right. So, so all of a sudden, um, Election anxiety, I, I had some very clear things that I wanted to say about that. And then I had some very clear things that I wanted to say about the birth control mandate and the, the Affordable Health Care Act. And then I had some very clear things that I, you, you know, like things, things were showing up again in my head that, that didn't situate themselves in the fiction that mm-hmm. I was, for me, that I was trying to hide under at, at the moment. So at, at that time. Sure. I didn't read your book uh, when it came out specifically because yeah. uh, 2017 was like the worst summer on record. Oh my it was god, a rough one for me. Uh, I was. I'm sorry. I was having that. No, no, no. It's fine. And I yeah. was like, oh, Megan's got a new book. And then I saw the title and went, Nah, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and just pass on this one at yeah. the moment. Uh, but yeah, no, it was just merely the title. But mm-hmm. I, I, I absolutely understand the importance of getting that snapshot. And I thought, what I found really strange is that I went back and I was deleting a bunch of tweets because I was looking for a new job, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, Believe it or not, nonprofit radio does not pay the mortgage. So mm-hmm. um, I am looking for a new job. So I'm going back and I'm deleting old tweets, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you never know what kind of deep dive something's going to bring up. And also, I don't use Twitter anymore. After the election, I pretty much stopped using mm-hmm. Twitter entirely yeah. uh, because it got what it's become, right? Yeah. Um, so I wrote, I went back to like 2016, and there's this tweet I wrote something about, something to the effect of like, all right, Biden, all right, starting Wednesday. And this is the like, three days before the 2016 election. I'm like, all right, starting Wednesday, it's back to pictures of your lunch and your dogs, and we're all going to shut the hell up, right, and just move on. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of, this is a foregone conclusion. Clearly, Clinton is going to win this thing, and we're going to move on with our lives, and we can all shut up about this for four years. Okay, great, moving on. Because the it was unfathomable that Donald Trump could win. And I know that like everyone's like, no, I, I kind of predicted. It's like, yeah, but it was like we couldn't, I could not get my arms around the idea that it was actually possible, mm-hmm. like what the world would look like under this mm-hmm. new regime. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I write this thing and don't think another thing about it. And then I go back and I see it like two months ago. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, I, I felt like I got hit in the head with a shovel. I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, I remember when the world was different. Mm-hmm. And this tweet, I felt like such a schmuck for writing it. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going with that, yeah. except that's just a thing. So we we lived in Prague during the 04 election. Okay. And, right? 04? John yeah. Kerry. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, uh, and I remember that same feeling mm-hmm. about Bush winning. Yeah. Um, cause all, I mean, we'd been overseas all during the campaign. Uh, so all the, the media that we were 
consuming was international media. Mm-hmm. And in the international media, he was a joke. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, so it didn't, it didn't occur to me. Um, the, I had a dear friend there. Her, her name was Marquetta. And we first met um, in a bar. And she came over and she sat down with us. And she was like, you're American. And we're like, yes. And, and she said, before we can be friends... <laughs> I need I need to know that there's an election coming up in your country sure. and I want to know who you're going to vote for. Now this was this was right after that you know there was the Bush was trying to put together I I don't think I have the right terminology for this but he was trying to put together the the big coalition of uh soldiers who were being sent to Iraq right this is, yeah. and um and so he just put that demand on the Czech people and that the Czech people were like the numbers was somewhere in the high 90s, like 97, 98% against the Iraq war. Sure. Um, and they just had to send their kids. So they had like given 3,000 soldiers, which for a country that small, like one time I, a huge we, we, rented, we rented a car and like, we're like, we're going to drive all across the country. And then like a half an hour later, we were at the border. Yeah. You know, you no, know, sure, was, yeah. And so, um, so the tensions were super high. I mean, I was there teaching for an American study abroad program and a lot of my students had sewn Canadian patches on their backpack just so they wouldn't right it's the first thing and, I thought of when you talk yeah. about being in Prague in 04 and um, and so Marquette was like so th- there's an election and I need to know who you're going to vote for and we were like we, we sent in absentee ballots for Carrie already and she mm-hmm. was like great now let's drink yeah we, we can drink together and then the um, the morning after the election she sent me a text and I I, I don't have that phone anymore but I printed out the text and it, it's it's just said I'm so sorry, my darlings. Um, this isn't your fault, and we don't blame you. I'm sorry that this has happened to your country. Yeah. And uh, so bit. anyway, I, while the campaign was happening in 2016, I just kept thinking of that. I kept thinking of that feeling. Like whenever mm-hmm. I heard anybody say, there's no way he can win, I would I would just remember that. Oh, I'm sorry, my darlings. And uh, and I was trying to pay attention to what I wasn't seeing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna shake that off for just a second. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Oh, okay. But here we are now. Here we are now. All right. So, what I'm really interested in. Um, Wait. Can I say one thing before you say that? Of course. Um, a thing that I've been thinking about. A ton since that is local politics mm-hmm. and how Im- how deeply important that feels to me in ways that it never did before sure. the 2016 Absolutely. election. And uh, I live in Rogers Park. We rode really hard for Maria Haddon, and she just won that election. So she's like one of the first alder people to. Yep. To take it, and I, you know, there, there's this TV show I love called Sense Eight. I don't I'm know not, if you watch I'm it. Not it is so good. I love it so much. And in season two, the character of Kefius gives this incredible speech about what happens when a leader stops listening to people is that they become a politician. Huh. And I feel like I like I carry that speech around with me now in the same way that I carry the um, the Troy's bucket speech from the 
Goonie, like like <laughs> like like, the, like those are like te- like film televised like time. visual thing that are like in a, a Rolodex in my head that I flip to in moments that I'm feeling despair and. So I think about that all the time, like who is a leader and who is a politician. And whenever I heard Maria speak, I was like, this is, this person is a leader. And I, I think like many of us, I, I felt, um, really, uh, um, desperate isn't the right word. Uh, I felt pretty messed up after the election and yeah. in, 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 insofar as politics, but, but listening to Maria made me think about what mattered in this, in this sure. great American experiment again. And uh, so my kid and I have been watching all the, the debates for the primary elections and, and listening to everybody talking. And, and after the last ones that were just on a couple of weeks ago, I was like, okay, who do you, who do you think? Like who, who feels like someone that you might want to lead the whole country and he's and he's like I, I think Maria Haddon should lead, That's cool. should lead the whole country yeah and I um so anyway I, I um there is I I, I am not com- I am not giving up That's good and yeah so this I'm 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 here for the fight now I'm I'm still debating whether or not I'm here for the fight okay. now because here's the thing like, I would I, like to I, recruit I, you oh no no I'm in okay. but I never cared about politics okay. and then once I started caring about politics mm-hmm. I couldn't stop caring about politics mm-hmm. and I can hate it like I really mm-hmm. really wish I didn't I really wish I could just mm-hmm. watch Fast and Furious movies and you know listen to Taylor Swift and move on with my life. Yeah. Like that's really. I think what I both want. of those things are poli- super political. Though. I think you're right, and we could always get into that. Can I? T- I yes. want. I want to tell you a little story. Okay. Okay. You don't um, say. Okay, so there is a. I, I got to take a workshop several years ago from Guillermo Gomez Pena, who is a. He's won the MacArthur. He's a performance artist. He's a, a collective called La Pocho Nostra in San Francisco, and he did this activity where he would. Okay, I'm, I need to I need to try to do this verbally because instead of gesturally. Okay, so he would point at one wall in the room and he would say that's number one, mm-hmm. and then he'd point at the opposite wall in the room and he'd say that's number ten, mm-hmm. and then he'd point to the empty space between, right? Mm-hmm. And so imagine two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then he'd put opposing questions on the different sides of the room. So he would say, okay, number one, I'm 100% male. Number ten, I'm 100% female. Number one, I'm 100% gay, number 10, I'm 100% straight. And then he would invite people to go stand somewhere in the room where they felt like they, they wanted to stand. Okay, I like and, then, and then everybody started to explain why they were standing where they were standing. And then people would listen to somebody else say something, and then they would move yep, because yeah, yeah, it would yeah, make yeah. them think. Anyway, um, he did, one of the questions he asked was, number one, my work is political. Number 10, my work doesn't have anything to do with politics. And I was okay. really young, like I was 20, 21. And I backed up against the, my work doesn't have anything to do with politics side of the room. Sure. Uh, my best friend was backed up against the, my work is political side of the room. Um, he's gay. It's important to note. And so Guillermo says to me, okay, why are you standing there? And I said, well, I, I write love stories. That's not political. Mm. And then on the other side of the room, backed up against the other wall, my friend said, I write love stories. And it was 
it was like lightning bolt, lighthouse, ton of bricks kind of explosion sure. in my head of just understanding this this ongoing cultural dialogue that was so much bigger than me and the world cracking open and me suddenly seeing my responsibility in it with the various privileges that I carry in my body. And I like walked across the route. Like I swear, like I remember that walk, like a walk across the route. It was like, I heard the Rocky theme song in my head and I went and I stood against him stood next to my friend on the other side of the wall. And that's where I've, that's kind of where I've always been. And as, and as, Time has moved on. I think every single thing I write has gotten much more overtly political. And I sure. I don't know if that's because of me or if that's because of the world, right? Like if I write an essay about going to the doctor and you write an essay about going to the doctor, mm-hmm. in mine is going to be looked at as more political in the world because I'm writing about women's health and I'm writing about – but you know, and that's just right. Maybe. Regardless of, I mean, I guess it depends on what specific there are a lot of things health I could, things I could, that there are a lot of things I could tell you like, about, like what specific health things that that we're talking about, right? But, um, but I, I that's something that I I feel very aware of right now, right? And there's this I talk about this a little bit in the Axe essay, but there were like that particular year after my kid was born, like I was on the I was on the floor, like mm-hmm. I was not sure teaching i was not writing i was not reading like everything was keep this little human alive keep myself alive like the the, the, the that was that was it and i i was not uh, i was i was not walking through the world in any sort of a way um and when that happened to me other people stood up for me and other people were teaching and they were writing and they were helping and um and now in the world, there are people who are on the floor. And maybe it's because of their health or maybe they have to take care of their families mm-hmm. or maybe it is dangerous for their bodies in our current political climate in ways that it's not for me. And, and um, so I'm up. I'm up. I'm here. So let's do it out. Good. Yeah. yeah. That is good. Um, I think that once I, I had never cared about politics and then once I started to care about politics, like I said, I was, I was now I can't stop. You know, I'm, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Um, I actively was so working against Rahm Emanuel, even though he was like on mm-hmm. on our team, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I was I'm like, okay, now I'm getting, uh, and I was all wound up about it. And I think that my work, my work specifically, has level of politics to it because I think that we're at this point in culture where like everything we do, almost everything we do, is imbued with some level of politics or mm-hmm. some level of political. Uh, weight to it. I think this show specifically is interesting because I actively, even in the first essay I did for the first episode, mm-hmm. first essay I did for the first episode was about how I don't want to make this political. Yeah. Right. How'd that go for you? It occasionally creeps up. Uh huh. And then I occasionally just kind of like, not necessarily whack a mole, but just go, hello, goodbye. And then pet you and then mm-hmm. send it away. Mm-hmm. It's just because I, I, I feel like, um, I said to you at the top of the show, and I say to everybody, this is going to go where it's go where it's going, mm-hmm. and I'm not fighting it at all, right? It's going to go where it goes, and if we go to this yeah. place, that's fine. If it goes to this place, or not. But for myself, every time I start getting political, like in the writing, in the essay, in the lead up, mm-hmm. in the my own personal commentary, I'm just kind of like, aren't guitars fun? You know, like, isn't this the place that I want to talk about this or the other thing? But the thing is, like, we have to keep in mind that we can't, we cannot 
uh, understand what another human being is going through. And I, as an interviewer doing this show, mm -hmm. right, I, I have no idea. I can't just control the conversation. Mm -hmm. So if we go mm -hmm. into this political town, which, we're, which we've gone to, right, mm -hmm. political town, mm -hmm. uh, also on the Q4 radio network, um, we're here. So I don't know. You're, it's, we're just we're talking about it. So I think it's okay. I, just, I fight it because I, I just get so angry. Mm -hmm. I really do. Uh, mm -hmm. When I start getting political, and I just hate that part of myself, and I'm just like, let's just push that, down. you know, uh -huh. is how I feel about okay, it. Okay, so this is back to the yeah. what happens when we push our anger right, right, right. when we don't pay attention to right. it, and then that's that's the rage, right? But again, and that's that's where the stuff gets dangerous. Like not not course. to be like welcome to to therapy town, but like oh yeah. Um, but what does it you know what does it mean to let ourselves? feel these things and how might that turn into action sure right um i don't know like whenever i whenever i think about not okay so here's a story so my last book was called the wrong way to save your life so here's where that title came from our building caught on fire in rogers park mm -hmm. um we had five minutes to get out with the baby like like just like that game we played at bars right yep. like you have five minutes to get out like what five things are you gonna take you yeah, know yeah, yeah. it was straight up that mm -hmm. Um, so I wrote about it for the New York Times. I filed the essay. This was in 2015, 2015. I filed the essay and my editor said, hey, there's a election coming up this week in your city. And I said, there is, there is. So this would have been was Rom, the runoff, the runoff yeah, with okay. Rom. And he said, do you have any thoughts about that? And I said, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Yeah. And he said, do you want to write about it for me? <laughs> And I, my first reaction was fear, right? I'd never, I mean, I, I write weird personal essays. Like I don't, and, and to, and I, and so to write very explicitly about politics on such a large platform felt very frightening to me. And uh, so I, I said, I'm going to think about this for a day and then I'll get back to you. Um, and while I was thinking about it and kind of engaged in this self-sabotage, uh, my essay about the fire went live. Hmm. And immediately, you know, and I'd never had a piece on so large a platform before. And, and, and so immediately it starts taking off and I'm getting all of these comments and most of them were really lovely. Um, but there was one woman and she wrote to me at my personal email through my website, she looked me up on, in the Northwestern directory and wrote to me there. She looked me up in the second story directory and wrote to me there. She wrote to me across all my social media platforms, including Google+, Plus, which I hadn't checked in 10 years. I don't think I've ever checked Google+. And all it, you don't need, you know. Of course not, go ahead. And all it said was, in all caps, that was the wrong way to save your life. And I just like I Wait a minute. So and she, she was went, talking she about went to you like ten different avenues to yeah. say that was the wrong way to save yeah. your life. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's all it said. Like n none of it said like. As a firefighter, it, I yeah, could have told right, you. Right, right. It was just that one <laughs> sentence, and I sat there and I just looked at it for a really long time, and I was like, it was just the, again like lightning bulb, light mm -hmm, bulb time, mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, just like, God, people are gonna like if she's coming after me for how I like, oh yeah, save like me and my baby, like, I, so people are going to come after us no matter what we say. Of so 
we should say some things that matter. Yeah. Like that, uh, that's where I've kind of yeah. arrived. So then I wrote a thousand very careful words about how Rahm Emanuel is dangerous and what are we doing mm-hmm. in Chicago? Um, and that felt real, right? Like that, that felt like a, a contribution. I always think about the personal essay as a contribution to our political or cultural dialogue um, like that kind of centers the human being. And so opinion writing didn't feel so far stretched, especially because, you know, I think coming as a arts educator in this city, uh, young artists in this city are very clear and always have been. Mm-hmm. And, and also profound, I would say, about their experiences in the city and course, under oh, our, yeah, our dearly yeah. departed merit, right? So to be able to, um, to light that up a little bit felt felt really important for me and it was interesting because in the writing process of that piece i realized oh man i've been doing political op-eds at the paper machete for drunk chicagoans for years oh we all have that's the that is the most challenging demanding audience ever they push you to be better and to be smarter and if i'm phoning it in yeah they'll let you know Yeah, yeah 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 so again coming back to the arts community, the performance community in Chicago, and the experiences that I've had here have affected every every other avenue of the work that I do. Can I touch on two things? Yes. Uh, first one is, I think the last time I saw you in person, no, that's not true. Uh, no, that's not true. But anyway, the last time we <laughs> did the machete at the same time, yes, um, I was assigned, it was the week that Christopher was gone, and I was assigned the, there was a big mass shooting at the Navy Field. Okay. Right? And my first thought was to do it as Ted Nugent. Okay. Because I am the guy that Christopher always assigns the hardest task to. Okay. The hardest topic. Like I, got, I am the I girl. Got, I, I am the Eric, girl who does Eric that. I had Eric Garner the day he got strangled. Like I had all the hard ones. And yep. he's like, can you make this funny? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I go, I'll do it as Ted Nugent. I'll come out and do this as Ted Nugent. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the first thing my brain did. And I wrote this thing about Ted, as Ted Nugent in character about like mm-hmm. shooting and you know, whatever. And I bailed on it that morning. I couldn't mm-hmm. do it. I was just like, I can't. I I feel like I'm doing this all wrong and mm-hmm. I knew Christopher wasn't going to be there and I kind of cheated. Well, I didn't cheat, uh, but I was just like, I'm just going to write an essay mm-hmm. and I'm going to write an essay and it's going to get serious and I don't care mm-hmm. if it's not funny. Uh, I'm going to be in dereliction of my duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember you saying very nice things to me about that and that was nice. Uh, I have no idea if you remember that at all. But <laughs> the reason I bring that up is this. I, in speaking about Rahm Emanuel, when he started coming around in, let's say, I don't know, closing like 50 schools. Just, just to pick something mm-hmm. randomly. Um, I got very upset about it. I was an educator in the city. I taught mm-hmm. on the south sides. I, was te- I mean, I taught everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, literally all over the city in every neighborhood I was teaching. So I was teaching all over the place. I hated Rahm Emanuel. I was like, how can I get to this? I can make this funny, right? Because mm-hmm. what I do, it's my natural reaction, right, is yeah. to make things funny. So I go to make this funny, and I, um, and I write this piece called The Ballad of Tiny Dancer, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just this big, and it's this like five minute rant about like, you know, all the things that he does and how terrible he is. And it, it kind of descends into whatever it descends into. Uh, it makes a point, but it's also kind of fluffy. Um, and it gets videotaped or videotaped. It gets shot for the CNN Chicagoland series, mm. right? Yep. And it comes to find out that Rahm Emanuel, uh, his people had, had their hand in the CNN series, even though they said they didn't. Uh, his his team, his PR team, had something to do with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, so conceivably, and they, it, the, uh, there's a s- snippet of that piece on the Chicagoland show, the first episode of the show, mm. right? Um, so I'm like, cool, yeah, his people saw it, 
Mm-hmm. Like, he knows. He knows I hate him. <laughs> and I felt, mm-hmm. like, really excited about that. And, like, look, I'm on CNN telling Rahm Emanuel he's a jerk, right? And then the more I think about it now, the more embarrassed I am to have written it. Because the hinge that I grabbed was here is this small person who danced as a child. And that was the joke I kept coming back to mm-hmm. of like, he's a scumbag adult and I don't care for him in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. that's the thing I kept coming back to. Like that was my touchstone. And it was mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah. Were you also a small child who danced as a kid? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So I was just like, it was just this like self hate garbage. Like it, back to the first conversation we started with. Mm-hmm. Right. And I feel so embarrassed about that. Uh, and I didn't realize I felt embarrassed about it until like three minutes ago. That's an essay that you just said. I know, right? Like, like, so, will, are you going to take? An, will you take another assignment? From sure, me? I'll take another that's assignment an, from you. Yeah. That's an essay. I mean, I, I think that there's there's something to pay attention to, about, like with with personal narrative, and and we put the work into the world, and then how do we think about it, ten years later, right? So there's a literary term called narrative distance, and it's like the it's the distance between when you're writing about event an event and when the event actually happened. Sure, and. As the narrative distance grows, which of course it does because we get older, mm-hmm. uh, we we view the experience in different ways because we're smarter, we're more well-read, or we've had different experiences that inform it. Or, or you, you know, like I, I think about being in my early twenties, and um, you know, let's let's just say I was in a relationship that was not particularly safe, and if I write about that in the moment, like present tense, me at 22, that piece is about, oh, he loved me. He didn't mean it. He was drunk. Do you mean if you wrote from the perspective of 22? Yeah, like like if if I'd written about it then. Oh, if you had written it then. Or if now, like, I mean, I can can try to craft my voice at 22 as well too, right? Okay. Um, But if I write about it for me at 25 when I met a whole lot of really smart girlfriends and read a boatload of Audre Lorde, right, then that piece would be about uh, I don't know, maybe it would be a revenge piece. Like, I will, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, or, you know, uh, I want to make sure this doesn't happen to others kind of piece. If I write about it when I met the person, you know, when I was 27 and I, I met the person I ended up marrying, then it's how do our past relationships affect our sure. current relationships? And if I write about it now, you know, I'm raising a man, right? So, how do our, uh, how do I raise this man to not be that man? So, you get to grow and you get to, you get to get, you know, I'm, I, I love Eula Biss's work, and, and it's the 10th anniversary of her collection, um, Notes from No Man's Land. Uh, I hope you're all writing this down and Googling these things. Yeah, but so she just had a fantastic essay in Lit Hub about what it's like for her, because they, they just did a 10-year, uh, Grey Wolf just did a 10-year anniversary reissue. And uh, so she has this great essay in Lit Hub about what it's like to read this 10-years-old book and look back at what... Mm-hmm. she thought and felt 10 years ago and um and how of course you want to go in and change things but um we also have to be honest to who we were at that time of so course. you get to be honest to who you were when you wrote that of piece course, of course. and and think in terms now of what the essay would be like you writing now and it's it's part of chicagoland and how you're making connections with yourself as a little kid being a de- and all mm-hmm. like i think it would be an incredible piece and i think you should write it I'm do curious. you need a deadline do, i can no that's it. okay okay but go ahead 
if you okay. want to. People always see this is the thing. I, you no, write personal I essays. De- I people come back and they always tell you about the great thing that they've lived and how that could be. And I'm like, great. I yes, right. please join yeah. us. What can I do? Do you need a deadline? Like, let's 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 make the well, stuff. It's hard for me because I don't do a lot of work on stage anymore. Because uh, that might be a bigger conversation for another. Maybe day, it's time to do some stuff do, in print. Do more stuff in 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 print. I Welcome. guess. I mean, I write. Yeah, print. I've always just felt so boring. Um, so make it interesting. Okay, that's fair. You're absolutely right. You're giving me all the answers I would give to my students, which makes me feel like, damn it, uh, I see myself. No, <laughs> we need to. I mean, we. I mean, I. Right. So can the, I say the word "dick" on the air? Can, like I, I dick, dick around I all, dick like all not all "dick" as in the penis, but right, like right. I, well, I dick around all of the time. <laughs> so I don't mean to sit here like on some high horse no, 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 and be no, no, like, no, "Look no, at no, the no, great writing," you know? I don't mean it like that. What I mean is, I don't want to. I the people who listen to this show are firmly divided between like, hey, I just want to listen to uh, my uh, this this dickhead I know hang out with his curmudgeon friends and just like you know BS about rock and roll. That's did you said his curmudgeon friends? Yes, I'm the. Curmudgeon. Am I one of those curmudgeon friends? No, no, I'm friends? the curmudgeon. Uh, You're I'm, the curmudgeon. No, no, I'm going back to an Apple Radio uh, review that was like it's uh, whatever it was. It was oh. It's my favorite show because it's just like I get to listen. The to Apple it. review. Did they also come on your Google Plus page and tell you Shut about that as forever. well too? <laughs> No, but they said something to the effect of like, it's my favorite curmudgeon and his friends screwing around, right? And I was like, so there are firmly those camp. Those people are into that, Great. into that, right? And then there are firmly those that are like, I love when you do the deep essays, right? And I mm-hmm. go, I, uh, I can't do I. Uh. You get to be both. You get to be like my, so my favorite writer and yours, I would wager, is Samantha Irby. And <clears throat> you mean Roxanne Gay? Did you hear that story? That was the oh, joke. How, Eliz- Elizabeth how Banks walked up to her? To Sam and called yeah. her Roxanne? Yeah. I was so annoyed and also, <laughs> I was so annoyed and I also laughed so hard. Oh my God. Go on. Anyway, so Sam, Sam uh, who was just, like episode four of the show, go back and Just get the, her, like she, so she has this essay called My Mother, My Daughter. It was in her first book, Meaty, but it was also published online at The Rumpus if you need to Google. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, I, I, I sobbed reading it i mean it is she is an incredible artist like the just the emotion in her work is is just she's brilliant yeah she's listening to this right now and she's like shut up meg like she's gonna text me and all caps telling me to shut up and then i will tell her to sit down and yeah shut up yeah um but in the same sense like i i was reading when I first got my copy of the the most recent book, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, I started reading it on the train at Lake. And I was coming home to, I, I live off the Loyola stop. And I, I don't know if this is TMI to your audience, but no, I, I, I laughed so hard on the train that I peed, like you peed a little I'll, I'll, on the train. I was yeah. laughing so like uh, yeah. On, and then also when I laugh really hard, like I ugly cry also. So I am just like dying on the train, and then just have to sit there from Lake Toy- Loyola, which yeah. is way too long for an adult woman to be si- sitting in their own pee. Yeah. So just the fact that uh, there's an artist who can make someone laugh that hard, and Lord knows, like if if we don't laugh right now, we should just jump off the roof, you know. And I. I so what I'm saying is you get to be all of the things. I know. You do. You I do know. get I to just, be all of the things. I feel like I, 
what I wanted to when I what I set out to do was to do the show that I wanted to do. Right, mm-hmm. I'm going to write the way I want to write. I'm going to do the things I write. I'm going to I'm going to mm-hmm. make the show. I'm just going to make the show the what I want to be because I've been completely disconnected from an otherwise uh, once loyal fan base that I hadn't seen for two years because I just okay. fell off the face of the earth on purpose. I lived in a hole. I had massive depression. Blah blah blah. Um, so I felt like I really wanted to be the person that I could be, uh, be the best person I could be, and 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 uh, do the show that is the most productive me. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, like you start hearing people's talk right and mm-hmm. i i am always the person who goes don't listen to what people have to say they're all idiots mm-hmm. right no one matters mm-hmm. they're not all idiots but like it doesn't they don't matter they, to you they do matter you think so i think yes you think people like you should do this with the show or you should write a story about this or you should well, write this way that I, matter? I i mean i i think okay see this is a this is a great question because on one hand there's the there's you know let, let's let's bring this back around like on one hand there are all of the emails from the women with postpartum and there's all the emails from women with bees flying out of their mouths that, that I get. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, there's the, this was the wrong way to save your life. And Hey, you should shut your mouth or we're going to wrap you. It took me a while to realize that they forgot the E in at the end of that word. Um, Oh my God. So like why, why the, the, the people out there who reach out to us because the work matters. Yes, yes. absolutely. I want to know what you think. I want to know. Sure. I want to know how this work can help. Can can be of support in some way, and then how you can lift up other people in your community. So you know, it's like the same thing that Roxanne and Cheryl told me. Like sure. you walk through the door, and who are you taking with you? You know, if everybody is taking people with it, you know, like. I, I read this interview with Patty Jenkins, who d- directed Wonder Woman <coughs> after Wonder Woman first came out, and she was talking about how much she hates the word sentimentality because, like, we use it in a so often in a negative context, and and it's a really great word, and it's a great thing, and mm. why can't we feel good about things and feel good about Be- one another? Like, I because you can't hang an entire narrative on it. I disagree okay right um i'm a good enough writer to do that there's another great if you're googling stuff there's a great essay by melissa phoebos it's in poets and writers and she's talking about the whole navel gazing thing which is a word that i'm often Mm, it's often leveled at me in dealing with the personal essay and basically i think everybody can just go straight to hell with that one because i um i think it matters to look at people's personal experiences and how we grow and i think if you're a good writer you can write a fantastic essay about anything. Um, uh, I, no, I agree. And, I and agree. so, so anyway, so I think all of this stuff matters. So the um, so the comments you get that are like, "Dude, that was the wrong way to save your life," or like, "Dude, why did you let that girl talk about her navel for so long?" Sure. You know, like that. You get to decide, of course, if you want to hang. And I know that this is so hard because you know we we always hang on to the one <laughs> negative. You know, like. Yeah. 500 great comments that I got about the essay of my house catching on fire and I title my book after the one woman who's like that was the wrong way to say you know yeah. so like I, I see that and I get it um, but I, I, I for me okay here's what I want to say there's a difference between the practice of writing and the choice of if and when and how to share it mm-hmm. and if I'm going to share it then this is a contribution that I want to have to this discussion. Yes. Um, and w- 
and if if I want to make a contribution, then then I want to I want to make one that matters. Mm-hmm. So, what matters to you about this show? Yeah, there are times that you're going to want to make people laugh, of course, or feel seen. But there's other times that you want to talk about the 50 schools that closed. Absolutely. Let's come back to Happy Harry Hardon, right? Like he mm-hmm. talked about what mattered in the world at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And that's the thing. And that's the point. I mean, the point I was making was um, it's important that it can't matter. What people feel about it can't matter in the creation of the art to Mm -hmm. me, right? When you're in this world of um, uh, I need, I have a deadline and something has to get created, I can't be thinking about what people feel about the show. People like this, so I'm going to write about this more. People don't like this, so I'm going to write about this less. Like when I have to just be on the deadline and create. And I get that this is not exactly uh, uh, capital P publishing doing this show. Mm -hmm. But to me, like when I'm in it, I have to do what I think is the right thing. Mm -hmm. And I so frequently don't. I so frequently go, "Uh, I don't want to dump all this heavy stuff on people. Or I don't want to dump all this heavy. The artistic director at Second story, Amanda Delheimer talks about this in a, a way that made a lot of that makes a lot of sense to me. She talks a lot about the contract with the audience, right? Mm-hmm. So, say if I write something for the New York Times, there is a contract with the audience coming to that paper. Of course, that it is researched and cited, and well, see, even now that I'm saying this out loud, we can we can contest that with right, the but, opinion page right now. But, ge- but generally, generally, generally like speaking, this. right? Um, the, if I write something for the Onion, yes. there's a contract with that the audience funny. that yeah. it didn't. It's funny. This didn't happen, but it's true, right? If I write something for a real estate magazine, if I write a, an annual report for an academic department, see, these are all things that I'm writing right now because I also have rent to pay, right? Um, if I'm writing, if I'm writing something for a weird literary publication, like that, it matters to me why the audience is coming to that particular space, right? So I think for me and my work, it's my job to either make whatever the hell I want to make mm-hmm. and then find a home that and an audience that fits that or find homes that I want my work to be a part of and figure out how to reach the audience that's at that particular home. Sure. So again, this is like a continuum as opposed to a binary, but the... um but all of that is, is stuff that I'm thinking about, right? So, so what is the contract with the audience who comes to this show? Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, the people that come to this show to listen yeah, um, and, and do regularly, right? Yeah. They're here to see me. Right. Right. Almost everybody. And I know, I don't know how, I can't, I don't know who's in Radio Land. I don't. But the right. people who come for like the podcast that I can actually track and the numbers yeah. that I can actually see. I know that the people that actively listen to the show are mm-hmm. here because they actively care about the work that I create. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what they're here for. Okay. So on that level, I don't feel bad about talking about whatever I want to, mm-hmm. but I also feel some level of contract with an audience of creating something that is, um, engaging and entertaining and intelligent. Yes. Right. Those, that's what it has to be. So okay. it can't just be like, Hey, let me just talk about my feelings about, uh, Sbarro or whatever. Cause I can't, it's not just a, a YouTube vlog. Like I have mm-hmm. to create something that matters. And I right. feel like if I, if I beat that stone, if I just hammer the same thing over and over too much, mm-hmm. it gets boring. If I'm too mm-hmm. dark, it gets boring. If I'm too light, it gets mm-hmm. boring. Like I, I'm just constantly walking that line of like, what's the most important thing mm-hmm. for me. And sometimes 
I write something. I do it on the radio. And then two weeks later, I go, God, I wish I hadn't written that. Mm. That was so unnecessary. You mm-hmm. were act- you were writing out of this place that wasn't, you know, particularly well thought mm-hmm. out. It's impulsive. You have a week. Like, you know, I have a yeah. week between shows. Yep. And, the, the you know, a rough week can turn to a really terrible, mm-hmm. can turn into a really terrible essay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there have been times where I've gone back and edited essays out. Yeah. Yep. I think this comes back to what we were talking about before when I was saying so much of the stuff that I'm doing right now is slower. Hmm. Right? Like, like this piece that I'm doing right now about Rogers Park and Van Dyke and Kavanaugh, like, that is something that I I would like to be very precise about. Of course. Um, So I'm, I'm giving it time, not just for the research, but also to, to be really clear about how I, how I feel about all of this and a contribution that I want to make. Do your, are your parents still with us? They are. Uh, do they read your work? They do. Do you worry about that? Um, I love this question. Uh, so when the, the last book came out in 2017, the reader did a cover story on me. I remember. They asked, Congrats. Fi- thank you. They asked 15 people that I'd written about in the book to each write 500 words about what it was like to be written about by me. <gasps> I don't remember that. Yeah. So, um, so my dad wrote one. My husband, our the realtor who saved us from foreclosure, my old boss, um, my best friends, my kid, Amy Levitt sat down with my kid, and he That's told crazy. her, and it's in there, and and so, um, and I I think so, so with I. I I am very lucky with the people in my life where they are very supportive of what I do. Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that's a place where I start this conversation. The next place that I go to this is I, I, have, I have some clear boundaries. Like I'm not a sure. personal essayist who's going to write about everything. You're not going to tell on everybody necessarily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, I, and, some, and some people do. And I get it and I see you and I and thank you for your work. You know, and so I think we, we all get to approach this question in, in different ways. Um, I think about this mainly because I work with a lot of writers. And so I, there are some writers who I work with who they can't write about their experiences just straight up for issues of safety. Sure. Uh, because oh, they've left like abusive relationships because mm-hmm. there's custody stuff at stake. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I often, here's what I want to say. I often hear people ask, answer a question like you just said flippantly, right? Like, um, they should just write about everything or that, that Anne Lamott quote gets trotted out a lot. Like if people wanted you to write warmly about them, they should have behaved. They should have been you know? nicer. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so and, uh. Nonsense. And again, I, I get all of that and I see it and I do it, but I don't publish it. Of course. <laughs> right. Um, uh, or I, I try to, I, I, I think part of the work of the personal essay is, is trying to really look at the other people in our lives and, and try to see things a little bit through their mm-hmm. eyes, which is hard, which is really hard work. Um, but with both of my parents, I talk to them about, uh, Whenever I write about them, I, I talk to them. And th- th- there's been a couple of things where I've been like, Dad, I want to write about this. And he'll be like, can that be a thing sure. that maybe you don't? And and I really – and I, I respect it when he asks me well, when he asks me that, that because he rarely, he rarely does. Does that come up in situations where he is involved? 
where where I'm writing about him directly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's the situation. Yeah. Sure. Well, I just mean just in general because you yeah. write about a lot well, of I mean, stuff. Yeah. Like I mean, wh- when he reads, like the, there have been times. There, there's one essay in the book um, that's all about my sex life. So like when I sent right. him a book, I just I there was a post-it note and it just said skip this essay and these pages. Right. And he does that. My mom reads everything. Sure. Um, and uh, my dad worries about me a lot Mm -hmm. so he'll like he'll read my he'll read my stuff straight up like oh my god oh my god megan don't like don't do that you know because you know i'm his kid yeah of course um and uh um and he worries sometimes when i get really political because he knows the the blowback like i i have written both my parents to tell them not to read the comments and um that I get, and and so they 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 worry about that sometimes. Yeah. How you doing on time? Do you got time? A little bit. We're over. Okay. I'm cool. Okay. There's nobody coming in till three. So. Okay. Well, I can't go till three. I but. can't either. Okay. But I'm curious. Okay. Um, I just don't want to have have to cut off necessarily. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, do you like? How does it feel? Is the is I guess is is my question, and I'm I'm not trying to find a, a common ground necessarily. Yeah. I'm just curious how you feel about it because I know how I feel about it when my folks read things that I'm like, oh, Ugh. like how do you, what do you attach to it? <clears throat> well, I um, I'm okay with it now. I, I and and a lot of it is just like them getting getting to know me right so i mean right? so much of this is like you know people know you mm-hmm. and then but i i think this is an important distinction they 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 don't know you but they know this one thing that happened to you right, right and right. i think when you read somebody's personal essays you think you know them i i heard this great uh okay so at this is a photographer and she made self portraits. Mm-hmm. So she had a gallery show that was all her self portraits and she was standing next to one of them. And one of the, you know, one of the people in the crowd came over and pointed at the portrait and said to her, Oh, is that you? And she was like, no, that's a portrait. <laughs> and I, and I think about that a lot with the, <laughs> with personal essays, right? Like, like people have come up to me on the train and been like, I also have an IUD. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's like, okay. Or, you know, coming up to me on the playground and, and saying things. And it's like, all of that is fine. And I, you know, I put the work out there in order to have a, a discussion. Maybe when I'm standing here with 17 six-year-olds, that might not be the best time to mm-hmm. talk about my reproductive challenges. Right. Sure. But, um, <laughs> right, like thinking about where we are in the world. Um but but at this point, I mean, again, I'm very lucky with my relationship with both my parents. They are um, long divorced and they they don't talk to one another. But I am solid. I have a great relationship with both of them. Mm. I love them dearly. I talk to both of them every week. Um, but I like I, I will call my mother and be like, listen, there is an essay coming out. It's about axes. I talk a lot about therapy. I need you to know that I'm fine yeah. and it's all OK. Do you want to read it? <laughs> Right, but right. but I do I I they both worry about me, so I need to to preface that. Yeah, I feel like that's part of the. I have felt that part of the reason I do a radio show every week is so my parents know I'm alive. Yep. Because hi, hi, mom and dad. Hey hi. Guys. I know they. I don't know if they listen all the time, but sometimes yeah. they do, and I okay. think about a lot of things. Yeah. Oh, there's still a lot of stuff. Well, they want to hear your voice. They do want to hear my voice. Um, it's you it's, should call uh, them more. I know. I I just saw them. Like, I, okay, it's not like I never talk to my parents. Okay. I do, but you know, all there right. there are times when. 
it is interesting getting to know I think about this mm-hmm. a lot like getting to know your parents after they've been your parents like after the point in which sure. they no longer have a hand in your sure. life in outside of they're related to you when yeah. they no longer have any sort of authoritarian control mm-hmm. over you right yep. getting to know your parents at that point is always fun and interesting mm-hmm. and I look at 25 year old woman right just mm-hmm. pick anybody uh and i reason i bring that up is i've got two nieces right mm-hmm. um that are that are five and three who i love very much and i think are great and yeah. i'm like what is it going to be like when they're 25 mm-hmm. right and they're adults and they have made mistakes and screwed things up and they mm-hmm. are you know active human beings with relationships and they have sex and they do all kinds of stuff because they're human beings right mm-hmm. how am i going to deal with that is a thing that i have to uh, is a is a thing i think about and also, like, what do they think if they go back and read this stuff? I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm only I'm just exploring yeah, the sure. aisle here. I just don't well, know what it is. Yeah, I think about that a lot more with my kid mm-hmm. than like through my because I mean, but I, I am grown. Yes. So so like my parents, they get it. They get that. Um, I think often it's surprising when they read stuff from when I was younger because there's a lot I didn't tell them. Sure. Right. Uh, so a lot of that is news for them, but I'm, I'm, I try to be really thoughtful with my son. I, I have a list. It's very long now, but, uh, it's on my desktop of things that I want to write about him. And then when he's 25, I'm going to take him out for beers and I'm going to hand him the list and I'm going to tell him he's he can tell me what's off limits or not because you know right now he's 11 i'm pretty cool he thinks i'm cool mm-hmm. you're a cool mom thanks um we're gonna hit patches where i'm not gonna be cool like i'm very aware that that time is coming and i and i'm trying to be thoughtful about what stories are his and what stories are mine sure and um i am not interested in in my work ever being a thing that could be of harm to him, you know? And, and so I, I don't, there is no story that I need to put into the world mm-hmm. enough to rock that boat. Sure. Right. So, so that feels really, I think that's a good way of going about that, it. That, that feels seems, really that seems like a very grounded solid to me, yeah. you know? So absolutely. So two questions for you. Yeah. Uh, first one is I just, cause I'm out of my own personal curiosity. What was the thing that you did with Chelsea Handler at the Athenaeum? I just saw, I just saw yeah. pictures of it on the internet and was like, yeah. what the so, hell's going on? So her, her most recent book is called life will be the death of me. Yes. And she did a, she's an underrated essayist, by the way, you know, this, this new book is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And it's really uh, a different, in my opinion, it's, it's really a different direction for her. I mean, it's funny yeah, and it's raunchy, but it's about self-examination and white privilege straight sure. up. Like oh, yeah, she yeah, yeah. just handed millions of followers who like raunchy dick jokes, a book about self-examination and white privilege. Like, totally. like, and, yeah. and, and she did it in a way that's still her. And I, I admire, mm-hmm. I admire that deeply so when she did i think that she's touring in europe and australia now but when she did the tour in the united states as opposed to like her own comedy tour she did it where at each venue she had either an actor or an essayist sit with her to talk about gotcha to talk about the book and so i got an email so as far as i can feel like just my guess is that somebody's intern (laughs) 
was roommates with one of my students. Like, I have no idea. Like, who knows how, you know, but so, but um, like Sarah Heppola interviewed her in Texas and uh, Megan Dom and, you know, and these essays who I really Mm -hmm. admire. And also Natasha Leone did and Sean Hayes and her, you know, so so there's just kind of this, there's just this this wild, wild variety of, of different people, I think, who would all approach the context in a different way. And I, um, I loved talking to her, and uh, and I really loved the new book. So, oh, good, yeah, cool. I was just, I was just curious. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, your second book, when I was cool. Yeah, once I was cool. once I was cool. Damn it. Yeah. When were you peak cool? Oh. If you had to pick, you know, because we all, I, I don't, I don't want to get too far into it, but like, there's the, you know, the the peak affability term yeah. that sort of thing i often go back and i go there it was right there yeah. i see a picture and you're like that was when i was the best looking i will ever be yeah i was there but then like what is your peak cool i truly i am not i'm not sure if i ever i i always feel like i i i like i live in the the geek column a little bit you know like right and i get to the book sci-fi ta- and musical theater yeah, 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 and debate yeah. and um and books it was always you know for me it was always books i i think i think some things changed a little bit with second story sure um I, there's something about the a microphone that totally um and a stage and people and- yeah and i uh and, but I don't know. I, I don't think I, I, I think I'm coming at it. Really? Yeah. Why huh. not? No, no. I think it's great. I yeah. just, I, that was not the answer I anticipated. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I, I look at some, I mean, what, what makes us cool or not is our stories, right? You know, so like sure. I can sit and I can drop all these things about Jane's addiction, Jane's yep. addiction. And I opened for the Jesus lizard and I did, you know, and I did all, I did all these did cool really things. I lizard? did, but That's cool. um, when their book came out um, at empty bottle, but I never felt cool in those moments. I felt very cool in the moments where I was cool because I was so uncool for mm-hmm. like my entire yeah. youth. Yeah. That I'd spent most of my uh, adulthood being like, do people think I'm cool? That's still are, a thing I think about. Really? Every are day. any of us actually at all? I don't even know. I don't know, but I know, I know that I think about it in inordinate amount of time. Yeah. Like, am I? Do, do people think I'm cool? Do I look good in this shirt? Am I a dork? I still am. Like, is anybody gonna throw something out the window at me? Am I gonna get made fun of for this shirt? These are these are thoughts I have every day. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah, and and the the truth is is that they they will. Mm-hmm. And I I think a. a an ease that I have stepped into now is I don't fucking care. Yeah. Bleep. Yeah. You know, I, I and that that feels like the the true definition of coolness is I, I don't I think you nailed it. <laughs> I think you nailed it, uh, and I, I appreciate you staying a little like, little longer uh, than I was just in it. I wasn't even watching the clock, and then I looked up and was like, "Oh, we're out of time." Um, I think you're super rad, and you're way uh, you're way more intense sober during the daytime than I remember you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I really appreciate you coming by. I hope you uh, I hope you enjoyed your time. Anyway, uh, where can we find you right now? What's coming up? Plug all the things, please. Um, uh, let me put these back on. Because you have to do the work. Uh, yeah. Uh... You can 
hit your local bookstore and you can get your hands on The Wrong Way to Save Your Life. And they're all really good. Thank you. They are. I like your I like your writing and I I hate books. That's not true. But I often get people's books, get my friends' books or get like, "Oh, you should." And I get halfway through them and just going, like, "I don't want to finish this." But Thank I you. actually enjoyed your book. Thank you very much. So, I hope that you feel um I don't know. I hope you feel any I'm just I don't know anymore. I'm out of I'm out of ideas. Uh, I think you're rad. <laughs> and you. I'm really glad you came. And everybody else that's out there, uh please go find Megan on the internet. She's very, very Googleable, which is a word that we've discovered here on the show uh over the years. Uh yeah, it's she's very Googleable. Uh go find her stuff. Uh she's she's very cool, I think. And she's she's only getting cooler because we've already established this. Uh speaking of which, how about uh, maybe a little Richard Swift? And I'll see you all next week. You're right. See ya.